Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Brad Crone, who's the president of Campaign Connections and a frequent guest on our program, someone we often turn to for a clear uh for his clear views on what essentially happens in the world of politics in North Carolina. He's been following it for years and uh, is uh, recognized by both Democrats and Republicans as someone to listen to because of his understanding of the state. Uh, We've talked a little bit about the governor's race. We've talked a little bit about the lieutenant governor's race, and we've talked about uh, uh, the the, uh, situation in Florida and Georgia as far as uh, comparing that to what happened in North Carolina. Let's turn now to the Council of State uh, situation in North Carolina. Uh, Really, uh, no real surprises. I guess the the key observation there was the fact that uh, Josh Stein's vote was very, very close. And Don, as we speak, there's still 116,200 mail-in ballots that were applied for that have not been returned back into the state. They have until Thursday at 5 p.m. to get those ballots in. I don't think you'll see all those ballots turned in. Uh, There are probably some cases where people actually went on election day and voted. So there'll be some reconciliation that the Board of Elections are doing to capture that. Probably... 60,000 votes will present between uh, now and the end of the week. There are 40,776 provisional ballots at the local level that the county boards are going to have to go through. They will certify whether they are valid or invalid and then make the decision if if they're invalid, they will be not counted. If they are valid, they will be tabulated in the reported out in the county canvas on Friday the 13th. So, um, You've got that race, the the attorney general's race, 10,000 vote margin there, and then the chief justice's race where there's a 3,000 vote advantage for Justice Newby in uh, his election over uh, Chief Justice Sherry Beasley. So those are two races next Friday we'll be watching very closely to see what type impact you have. I don't see any major changes you know, people say, well, why haven't they called the president's race? Why haven't they called the United States Senate race in North Carolina? Well, I don't see the the statistical probability of a switch, but they still want to go through the process with a hundred and approximately 140 to 150,000 votes still to be tabulated. Uh, there could be a variance. I doubt it uh, very heavily. So, um, we will be watching the attorney general's race. I was surprised somewhat that it was as close as it was. Um, if Jim O'Neill, he got outspent probably uh, two to one by Josh Stein. If there had been more money in it uh, where he was able to cut his margin, it would have been significant. Um, I, I would also say this, Don, I, I think there were a couple of really important, the, the most important endorsement in the state that I've seen has came from the State Employees Association of North Carolina when they endorsed the insurance commissioner Mike Causey and Dale Falwell, uh, two incumbent Republicans. That endorsement, when you look at the voter turnout in Wake County, for example, helped trim their deficit by almost 50,000 votes. And that was huge. And so, uh, the the scenic support for those two incumbents were absolutely critical for their reelection, and um, it it will propel 
um, both of them into uh, re into a second term. And I think as a result, you're going to see um, a lot of issues come out of that, in particular in the health care issue on the state employee health plan that uh, the insurance commissioner, Mike Causey, and the state treasurer will be teaming up with. Two other races on the Council of State that were open was the superintendent of public instruction and the North Carolina Department of Labor. Uh, the elevator later uh, is, is uh, stepping down and uh, we'll have a new picture. Josh Dobson uh, won that race, Republican state representative from Surrey County up in Mount Airy in the Elkin area. A uh, very competent, very capable and uh, Catherine Truitt, who was former education advisor to Governor McCrory, is going to take over at the Department of Public Instruction. That was an intriguing race to watch because the NCAE had gotten involved in that race and were supporting Jen Mangrum. But again, I go back to the central point of this whole show. It was Republican performance. And they were able to, to – to, that. I was doubtful that the president would have coattails in the state, but clearly when you look at it, voters had a tic-tac-toe. They went in and voted for Trump. They voted for Tillis. They voted for Cooper. And then they went in and voted for Republican Council of States. So the Democrat who who ran, Elaine Marshall and, and Beth Wood, for example, um, held their own it's sort of status quo between the split between Democrats and Republicans. The other interesting race of outperformance of everybody was Steve Troxler. And I mean, he's, he's sort of like Superman. He's a, he, he's made a steal and really did a very good job um, outperforming the president, I believe. And uh, it just goes to show uh, Becky Gray had made a comment that it goes to show that people like seeing a man on a tractor in North Carolina. So, uh, you know, Steve Troxler, I, I worked for Jim Graham when I left WPTF and he was really a great uh, North Carolinian, great American, but I've got to hand it to, to Steve Troxler. Um, he's done an excellent job as our agriculture commissioner, and it's so important because it's still, you know, one of the major tenets of our state agribusiness is a major tenant of our state's economy. Two things I want to, uh, again, reiterate. We are recording this program on Friday due to some, uh, uh, well, basically the COVID-19 situation. We have started recording these programs earlier. So some things that we may say may actually change a little bit. Uh, before the final outcome, so please understand that. And we are purposely leaving off the discussion of the uh, very important United States Senate race to our last segment. Uh, we will bring that up and get your views on exactly what happened in the Tillis and Cunningham campaign, and we're going to do that in the final segment. I want to get back to the Council of State position. Uh, one of the races that was kind of interesting was the, the race for insurance commissioner because uh, Insurance Commissioner Causey was in the news uh, uh, as uh, it was for, a rerun. Yeah, and then, uh, but he was running against a former insurance commissioner. Uh, right. uh, did that? How did that? Uh, well, his yeah, opinions on that. North Carolinians typically don't like reruns when it comes to political campaigns. You go back to 1996 when Harvey Gantt ran for the second time against Jesse Helms, and that didn't turn out so well. And this was a rerun at the insurance commissioner level. And uh, Mike had won in, in 
2016 by a little bit over 40,000 votes. This time it's right at 200,000 votes. And um, a lot of it stemmed out of the fact that that Causey was able to build a strong political network working with the first responders across North Carolina. When he went into office, he made it a point to, to really reach out to the fire departments in rural North Carolina and suburban North Carolina, both the volunteer and the professional departments. They did uh, expedited inspections in the fire departments to get better fire ratings, which actually helps lower homeowners insurance rates. So that was a critical component. The other interesting element in that insurance commissioners raced on was the Greg Lindbergh trial, insurance executive from Durham who was convicted of attempting to bribe uh, the insurance commissioner. It, it called up Robin Hayes, the Republican party chair in the race. And uh, it clearly showed to voters that, that Mike was a stand-up guy, that uh, he was willing to take on the people uh, who he deemed as inappropriate actors. He took on insurance fraud and corruption and uh, was willing to take on the, the big insurance companies as an advocate and champion for the state's consumers and patients. So he, he had a very good record going into the race and um, you know, I, I, I have worked with them over the last two years, and um, I, it, it was a very satisfying race uh, to work on. I'm very impressed with his with Mike's uh, sincerity, also his work ethic. The guy is just an animal. Um, to be 70 years old, he puts in 12, 14-hour days, six days a week, and four and five hours on Sunday. The... Um uh, just uh, some quick observations on early voting, mail voting, and election day voting. It seemed like election day voting actually turned out to be a lot lighter than most people had anticipated. People were afraid of long lines and so forth. That just didn't materialize in most cases. No, it really didn't. And that was simply because of the access to the ballot box through early voting and then the easy access through mail-in voting. And Don, I think that raises a really important point. Uh, when you look at the, the tabulations of same-day vote, Republicans did a very good job. I think the same-day vote was right at 950,000, close to a million votes. And the Republicans did a very good job in winning that same-day vote. Meanwhile, the Democrats had an advantage with mail-in vote and somewhat an equal, almost a push when it comes to the early voting. As we move forward in, a, in, in North Carolina, I think we're going to see more and more access for mail-in ballots. I appreciated the, the ease of it, filling out the application, sending it in, getting it back, and then sending it back in, and having the ability to go online and check on the status of my mail-in ballot. So as we move forward as a state, Don, I think you're going to see more and more pressure from uh, the voters to the politicians saying, hey, guys, let's make it as easy as possible. Let's look at expanding mail-in ballots even after we get over the Corona-19 virus. A lot of the attention paid to mail-in ballots has been because of the coronavirus, but I think it, it, it's a good exercise. And um, I think we'll see, I, I hope we'll see more and more mail-in ballots as we move forward. Our guest is uh, Brad Crone. We've got one final segment. In that next segment, we're going to discuss the very important United States Senate race and what uh, uh, turned out to be, I guess, uh, 
contrary to what the, the projections had been before the election on uh, Tuesday. We'll talk about that with Brad Crone when we come back right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our final segment this week of Carolina Newsmakers. Again, a couple of reminders. One, we are recording this program on Friday, and so some things may change in this ever-changing environment of this election. Uh, So some of the things we may have said in this program or may also say uh, in the segment that's ahead may change slightly, uh, probably not too much. Uh, but I did want to point that out so that you can keep that in mind as you listen to the program. Our guest is Brad Crone. He's a keen observer of politics in North Carolina, frequent guest on our program, also a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina Spin program. Uh, and uh, as we said earlier, back when he had good sense, he was a uh, employee of WPTF years ago, and uh, that was back when he uh, had uh, all of his faculties working for him in a positive way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we have uh, really uh, sort of reserved to this last segment a discussion of a race that uh, uh, actually went against what the uh, pollsters were saying. Uh, most of the pollsters felt like even though there was controversy that came up due to an infidelity uh, uh, situation in uh, Cunningham, that Cunningham was going to win. Actually, till it's won, and that is so important on the national scene because it will probably keep the United States Senate uh, in the uh, hands of uh, the Republican Party uh, and uh, create a deadlock or a gridlock, as I call it, uh, in uh, national politics to some degree. So what happened there, uh, Brad? What happened? Well, uh, late-breaking voters uh, basically said they couldn't trust Cal Cunningham uh, simply because of the not one but two girlfriend situations um, and just, it was messy, Don. It was just, it, it, you know, uh, it's not comfortable to talk about, but, uh, it was messy. And the thing that really hurt Cunningham, the predicate he had laid 
was that here's this great family guy with a, a impeccable character who had gone to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, after 9-11 and had served honorably, had been decorated for his service, and um, it fell apart when the first um, story of infidelity and then the national media broke the, the second girlfriend and she said she was upset that he was cheating on her because he, she didn't know about the first girlfriend. So, I mean, it, it just went from ugly to insane, and that really impacted it. And, and there was enough time there for Tillis to, to pivot. The, the, uh, Cunningham had been very effective, I believe, in cornering uh, Senator Tillis in particular on the health care issue. And... Um, had had a clear-cut advantage. I mean, going into uh, the last week of October, the first week of October, Cunningham probably had a 4.5-point lead. So it was not an unfamiliar situation for Senator Tillis. You remember in 2014, he was trailing Kay Hagan early in October, too, and really just put his foot on the gas. And again, it comes back to the theme of the whole show is the Republican performance and Republican turnout in early vote and in uh, same-day vote. And as the scandal really processed, Republicans had surges late in early vote of turnout, and then they clearly commanded a same-day vote. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't see uh, there, there aren't enough votes out to statistically uh, change the race. Uh, Tillis holds on. The race may tighten up a little bit as the county's canvas next Friday. Uh, but Tillis will, I, I believe Tillis will be reelected. And I, I think the campaign will be good for Tillis. I think um, it, it is a, a sort of a cleansing process to go through that and to be affirmed uh, and to be reelected. And uh, that Tillis if Trump is defeated and not in office, it will allow Tillis to be to have a lot more independent voice uh, than necessarily being tied into uh, the far right wing agenda that Trump promoted. So as a whole, I think it'll be a, a, a good day for North Carolina. Interesting enough, Cal Cunningham, I don't see a future for Cal simply because uh, primary Democratic primary voters will forgive him. But I don't think that they'll ever forget them, uh, forget the, the transgression. And uh, it, it will be a career-ending episode for Cal Cunningham. Well, many of the Democrats that, uh, that I talked to that uh, I think still voted for Cunningham still said, you know, it was incredibly uh, unforgivable of, of letting that happen uh, and uh, essentially losing their chance to take that seat. And uh, so I think he's probably uh, uh, at well, least. And, uh, in particular, when they turn, when, when Schumer turned down a, a great candidate such as Janet Kyle and another great candidate such as Jeff Jackson down in Mecklenburg County, there were other people that Schumer was talking to in the recruiting process. And he ended up with Cal because of the facade of a military record and, you know, great character and integrity. Yep. And it was just, uh, we are all, we all have clay feet. So I, I understand that. I get that. Um, you just don't want to see a divorce unfold in the United States Senate race three weeks before the general election. 
Well, essentially, the 2022 campaign has begun. And uh, there are two interesting things that we will be talking about for the next two years now politically. One is, of course, the birth seat that will be up. Uh, and uh, when that comes up, that could be a very key seat uh, as far as uh, who controls the United States Senate. It's very close up there. Uh, and then also North Carolina, by that time, will likely have a 14th district. So that means almost all of the congressional districts will be reshuffled again. Um, in many cases, might maybe not uh, you know, a huge change, but almost every congressman is going to have a slightly different district. Uh, and uh, that, that brings up some very interesting questions. So uh, you've got about uh, two minutes to talk about the really 2022 campaign. The redistricting issue is going to be paramount, and I think the legislature will push that off until late next year because the census data may not be coming in until the summer. But right now, the, Demo the Democrats picked up two seats uh, through redistricting, so it's an 8-5 split. It will be really intriguing to watch how the legislature looks at a 14th congressional seat in the state of North Carolina and where that goes. I think there are a lot of rising stars on the horizon for both parties. Uh, on the Democratic side, uh, as you look, I think there may be pressure on Josh Stein to seriously consider a U.S. Senate race. Uh, I also think that Jeff Jackson out of Mecklenburg County, a state senator down there, will be a, a candidate that people are talking about. Janet Kyle, the former state treasurer, is another name in Democratic circles that you hear as a potential candidate for the United States Senate in 2022. On the Republican side, George Holding, and, and uh, the Holding family uh, is paramount. They've done a great job. Uh, George has done a great job in Congress. I think he'll be a candidate to look for in the U.S. Senate race as well. Another interesting name, again, that we talked about earlier as a potential candidate is going to be um, Pat McCrory from Charlotte. Uh, looking at 2024, clearly Mark Robinson is going to be an interesting candidate to watch. Greg Murphy. Uh, doctor out of Greenville serving in Congress. And then another interesting rising star that I say is Lisa Stone Barnes out of Nash County. Watch her projection and her career path moving forward. Thank you, Brad, for those great comments. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest next week. So the next week on the same group of stations, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers.